0: I put a spell on you because of my.
1: Romantic love can feel like a mysterious thing. How do we know when we have met the right person? How do we even find the right person? And when we do meet someone, how do we stay in love with the person for years to come? Well, although falling in love feels like anything but logical, today's Please Explain has got love and attraction down to a science. Joining us now is biological anthropologist Dr. Helen Fisher, a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, a member of the Center for Human Evolutionary Studies at Rutgers University, and the chief scientific advisor to Match.com. She's also the author of several books, including Why We Love and Anatomy of Love: A Natural History of Mating, Marriage, and Why We Stray. I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Fisher back to today's show and back and to today's Please Explain segment. Hello.
0: Hi, Leonard. How are you? It's uh, nice to be
1: talking to you again. <laughs> it's nice to have you back. Well, uh, thank you. On an evolutionary level, do we have any thoughts about what love is?
0: Oh, absolutely. I've spent years in this. I think that we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction. One is the sex drive. Second is feelings of intense romantic love, the elation, the giddiness, the euphoria, the possessiveness, the craving for a person. And the third brain system is attachment, that sense of calm and security you can feel for a long-term partner. Now, all kinds of people are going to have a different definition of what love is, But I think it's going to be basically boiled down to these three very broad uh, brain systems and the mixes between them. And I think they evolved a long time ago. I think the sex drive evolved to get you out there looking for a whole range of partners. You know, you can have sex when you're not in love with somebody. I think romantic love evolved to enable you to focus your mating energy on just one at a time and really start the mating process. And that third brain system of attachment evolved to enable you to stick with this person at least long enough to raise a single child together as a team. So in my book, Anatomy of Love, and, of course, for many years, I've been studying the whole evolution of this. And, you know, Leonard, we've we've now put people, over 100 people, into a brain scanner, and... um, uh, who were madly in love, uh, who had been rejected in love, and who were in love long term. And we actually know some of the brain pathways that, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that occur when you are madly in love. It's, it's basically the dopamine system in the brain that gives you that craving, that obsession, that focus, that motivation. Uh, in this case, the motivation to win life's greatest prize, which is a mating partner.
1: And you have hypothesized that love is like an addiction. Uh, Is it the same as being addicted to coffee, nicotine, or an opioid?
0: Well, it's, it's so interesting. I, I've long thought that it was an addiction and uh, a perfectly wonderful addiction when it's going well and a perfectly horrible addiction when it's going poorly. I mean, people kill for love. They kill themselves for love. They stalk people. They slip into clinical depression. I mean, these are some of the traits that uh, are associated with, with, with real addiction. Anyway, what we found is there's a, a particular... Um, factory in the brain that becomes activated when all of the addictions occur, all of the substance abuse addictions and and all of the behavioral addictions like gambling or uh... food addiction or sex addiction uh, um, and in fact when you've been rejected in love that those brain pathways become active so i think we're going to have to sort of re examine what we mean by the word addiction because it's it's regularly believed to be you know very detrimental and in fact it's entirely possible that it evolved as a natural addiction as even a survival mechanism uh to enable us to focus our energy on somebody and start the mating process and pass our dna on into tomorrow but it does have a great many characteristics of an addiction that obsessive thinking the you can't eat you can't sleep uh, when you're madly in love with somebody you there's somebody camping in your head. Uh, you, you wake up in the morning thinking about them. You go to bed thinking about them. Uh, it has many of the qualities of a of real addiction. As I say, a wonderful addiction when it's going well, horrible addiction when it's going poorly.
1: And in fact, you, you point out that uh, uh, men are more likely to kill themselves if a relationship yes. fails, two and a half times more likely. Yeah. You've also said that men are just as romantic as women. Has it ever yeah. been in doubt?
0: Uh, you know, Leonard, I am just so glad that you brought this up. I have been trying to tell the women's magazines for 30 years <laughs> that men are just as romantic as women. There's certainly good psychological data. But, you know, I do an, uh, an annual study with Match.com of what we call it singles in America. We do not poll the Match uh, members. We poll the American public. So it's a representative sample based on the U.S. census. And every year I ask about men. And every year I find the same thing. Men tend to fall in love faster because they 're so visual they fall in love more often uh, they when they do find somebody that they 're in love with they uh, um, want to introduce that person to friends and family sooner. Men want to move in sooner. Uh, with a, a new partner and uh, men men have more intimate conversations with their wives or girlfriends and women do with their husbands or boyfriends because women have their intimate conversations with their girlfriends and just as you say men are two and a half times more likely to kill themselves mm. when a relationship is over women are the picky sex men are far less picky uh, uh, than women are, probably for good evolutionary reasons. I mean, women have to carry the baby for nine months. Women spend much more time caring for the infants. But, you know, I think we've overlooked men even in that case. We we were always constantly saying that, that women have do more what we call parenting effort. But for millions of years, it was the men who went out to try and kill big, dangerous animals and, uh, you know, fight off marauders, etc. So I think men have been... I think fatherhood is human. I, I think men are just as built for fatherhood as, 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 uh, as women are for motherhood.
1: We often talk about chemistry. Are we being metaphorical or are there actual chemist chemicals that are components to attraction?
0: Um, Well, we found when we looked in in the brain um, of those people who had just fallen happily in love and those who were rejected and in love long term, we found activity in a tiny little factory near the base of the brain called the ventral tegmental area, and it's also known as the VTA. And um, it actually makes dopamine, which is this natural stimulant that gives you that craving, the obsession the focus, the motivation, et cetera, to win a partner. So we now know the brain, some of the brain circuitry of this, and it's run by the chemical system, dopamine. And what's really interesting to me about it is that little factory that seems to orchestrate feelings of romantic love, way at the base of the brain, way below the cortex, where you do your thinking, way below the emotional parts of the brain, in brain regions linked with drive, um, with survival. And right next to that little factor, the VTA, live factories that orchestrate thirst and hunger. Now and hunger are not going to go away whether you swipe left or right on tinder um they they enable you to live another day whereas romantic love enables you to pass your dna on into tomorrow so that you live tomorrow too so we're talking about a basic human drive with basic brain circuitry that evolved millions of years ago to do something very important which is to survive
1: in your 2004 book why we love you talk about the, the hormones and neurotransmitters um, that construct four different personality types, right. the explorer, the builder, the director, the negotiator. Now, um, what traits define each, and does knowing your personality type help you to find the right partner?
0: I think very definitely. This all started when Match Dot came to me in 2005 and asked me, you know, why do you fall in love with one person rather than another? And I said to them, I really just don't know. I mean, we all know, you know, in, in the business that uh, – that people tend to fall in love with somebody from the same socioeconomic background, same general level of intelligence, same general level of good looks, same religious and social values. Your childhood always plays a role. But you can walk into a room and everybody's from your background and level of intelligence and good looks, and you don't fall in love with all of them. So the bottom line is I thought to myself, well, people will say, we have chemistry or we didn't have chemistry. What could they mean by that? Have we evolved natural styles of thinking and behaving that draw us naturally to some people rather than others. And so basically, I looked at all, oh God, 40 years of the academic medical literature, and I found that there are four brain systems that is each one of them linked with a constellation of personality traits, The dopamine system, which I call the explorer, as you say. The serotonin system, I call these people builders. Uh, The the testosterone system, I call these people directors. And the estrogen system, I call these people negotiators. And here's what I found. I created a questionnaire that's now been taken by 14 million people in 40 countries. And I was able to watch who's naturally drawn to whom. And as it turns out, people very expressive of the dopamine system, what I call the explorers, Tend to be novelty-seeking, risk-taking, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic, and mentally flexible. And they're drawn to people like themselves. They want somebody who's going to leap off the couch at seven thirty and race over to Lincoln Center and see if they can get a, a seat at the opera for eight. Uh, or they want to suddenly go to New Jersey to try a new restaurant or look at a new town, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, Curious, creative people go for people like themselves. People expressive of the serotonin system tend to be um, traditional, conventional, follow the rules, respect authority, tend to be more religious. They're concrete thinkers. They're they're more um, uh, calm. Uh, And I think uh, Mitt Romney is a very good example. They are drawn to people like themselves as well. Traditional goes for traditional. In those two cases, similarity attracts. In the others, two opposites attract. So, uh, how p- people are very high on the testosterone system, what I call the director, they're analytical, they're logical, they're direct, decisive, they're tough minded, they tend to be skepti- skeptical, they're good at things like math or music or engineering or computing. They are drawn to their opposite somebody who's high on the estrogen scale, um, somebody who's uh, uh, they're in the high estrogen type, tend to be intuitive. Um, imaginative, contextual thinkers, uh, good people skills, good verbal skills, Emotionally expressive, empathetic, and trusting—they go for their opposite. I think a good example, actually, are, are Bill, uh, Bill, and Hillary Clinton. Bill is the high estrogen type. I mean, you know, the whole world knows he can't stop talking. He, he, uh, he's uh, verbally skilled. He's got people skills. Uh, he cries easily, etc. Whereas Hillary, I think, is more high on the testosterone scale, as was Margaret Thatcher and and other women. But largely, it's men who are more expressive of the testosterone. Uh, uh, Constellation of traits. What's interesting is we are all expressive of all of them. Uh,
1: and Dr. I, Fisher, we, to, we have to sorry. take a little break and we'll come back to that. Okay. My guest is biological anthropologist Dr. Helen Fisher. We're talking about love and attraction on today's Please Explain. Stay with us for more. We're back with biological anthropologist Dr. Helen Fisher, a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute a member of the Center for Human Evolutionary Studies at Rutgers University and the chief scientific advisor to Match.com. And we are talking about love and attraction on today's Please Explain segment. Uh, I stopped you. Did you have anything more you wanted to say before we went to the break, or should I move on?
0: Only one other thing, and that is that we all express all four of these brain systems. Uh, And, you know, these aren't cubby holes. And once you actually get to know who somebody is, you can, I think you're going to have a better relationship. A good example for me was recently a friend of mine who's much higher on the serotonin scale. He's got very much more sort of rigid values than I do. And recently I took something personally that he did and I shouldn't have because it's just his values. It's the way he is. He wasn't being stubborn because he doesn't like Helen Fisher. He was being stubborn because he's stubborn. And once, you get to know who somebody is you can I, I don't even believe in the golden rule anymore i believe in the platinum rule. don't do others as to others as they would have done unto themselves i mean noise don't do to others as you would have done unto yourself do unto others as they would have done unto themselves understand who they are and give them love the way they can hear it and feel it and you will win
1: how fast can you size up a potential partner is there really such a thing as love at first sight
0: yes um i don't know how fast you can size up a partner i think we le- keep learning about somebody year in year out if it's a good relationship but yes you know romantic love this brain system for romantic love is like a sleeping cat it can be awakened at any time and uh in my studies with match the single in america study i ask if you ever felt a love at first sight and over 50 percent of men and women have had that experience mm. And I think what's going on is you're ready to fall in love. You have in your head what I call your love map, an unconscious list of what you're looking for in a partner, and the timing is right. You run into them in the park or in the gym or at work or at school, and they smile sweetly at you, and it triggers this brain circuitry, and boom, you're off to the races. And I think that was adaptive for millions of years. you know, you know, wandering around the grasslands of Africa a million years ago, you really weren't going to run into that many people at the right time for you. So it would have been adaptive to almost instantly fall for them. And I think that we still carry this in this brain. You know, you can be scared instantly, and you can be angry instantly. You can be joyous instantly, and you can fall in love instantly.
1: Is monogamy natural? What about people in open relationships or polyamorous relationships? Is it possible to be in love with more than one person at the same time?
0: I think this polyamory thing is absolutely fascinating. I do not think that it's possible to be madly in love with more than one person at the same time. That's the way the brain—the brain doesn't work that way. In fact, I would say that these people were probably not madly in love with almost any of the people if they're having a polyamorous relationship. I think it's the young that are doing this. I think they've got uh, uh, all their—they're marrying later and later— These days, the young are putting off family in order to create career, and I think that they're practicing. I think that they're um, having several relationships with people. They're being transparent about it. They really feel that uh, honesty is important, and uh, I think the vast majority of them will settle down. I think they will get their careers intact. and have these experiences, learn more about themselves, learn more about how they love, what they want, what they're looking for, what they can cope with, what they can't, and eventually the vast majority of them will settle down on one person and marry. That's the way the brain works.
1: When did living with a romantic partner without being married become more socially acceptable? Uh, Some do argue that it's always advisable to live with your partner before you decide to commit to marriage.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm actually very excited about this. I call it slow love. Actually, I call it fast sex, slow love. I think these days people are so terrified of divorce, and we've got good data that they're terrified of divorce, that they want to know every single thing about a person before they tie the knot. So what we're really seeing here is an extension of what I call the pre-commitment stage and then the commitment light, L-I-T-E, commitment light. I think they're starting off with the one-night stand, a lot of them. They're moving into friends with benefits, not telling friends and family yet, slowly, gradually uh, sharing their romance with those around them slowly moving in and really getting to know that person before they tie the knot. And I'm actually rather optimistic about this because it gives you a lot of time to get rid of relationships that are not going to work so that by the time you walk down the aisle you know what you got, you know you want what you got, and you think you can keep what you've got. So in order to to see if I was right about this, I recently did a study of 1,100 married people, and I asked them a lot of questions. But one of the questions was, would you remarry the person you're currently married to? And 81% said yes. So I think with this long period of living together, which I really think probably started in the, I don't know, 60s and 70s. I, you would, might know better than me. I don't quite know when it became uh, more accepted in society, but certainly by the 80s and 90s a host of people are living together before marriage. And I really do think that that is a a step towards happier relationships down the road.
1: But I was curious about some of the other things you've discovered. Millennials aged 18 to 34 are more likely than other generations to sleep with someone very early on in a relationship. Sometimes actually... Uh, right after they meet. But on the other hand, you found that contrary to popular belief, millennials are 51% more likely than boomers. uh, That's 52 to 71 plus to say that they have no interest in sex.
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? They're interested in career. These people are busy. They are ambitious. They are creative. They're innovative. Uh, by the way, they really go for entrepreneurs. We asked this year on our Singles in America study what you, you know, uh, what really turns you on, and both men and women want to go out with an entrepreneur. I think that's really cool. But yes, just like you said, we found out this year that um, we asked the question. Uh, you know, have you ever had, you know? Predates sex sex before you ever went out on a first date. 34% of singles said yes, and uh, the millennials were the most likely to say it. I think that, and you may have a very different opinion, but my hypothesis is, that it's a sex interview. That these people are busy. They don't have much time, and they want to know whether they're going to uh, should invest their time, their money uh, uh, on a, on a, launching a relationship. So they're going to get into bed as soon as possible and see whether that part of it works. And they don't appear to be scared uh, of pregnancy. They they know how to avoid uh, disease. Uh, they don't have to walk the walk of shame if they if it doesn't work out. And so I I think it's partially a sex interview. I think others are just trying to get a date with the person, and so they like the person, and they're looking forward to getting to know them more, and they're trying to... And by the way, they can also trigger the brain circuitry for romantic love and attachment when they have sex with the person. So I think these people are in a rush. It's a sex interview, and they're, they are looking for love. more than any other generation.
1: We've pretty much run out of time. I was going to ask you whether uh, better relationships seem to develop from when the people meet online or whether they meet socially or whether they are introduced by others, but...
0: um, I don't think it makes any difference, Leonard.
1: Okay, well, I'm glad you've told me that because we have run out of time. My great thanks to Dr. Helen Fisher, who... Mm -hmm. Uh, has been talking about love and attraction on today's Please Explain. Uh, You might want to read one of her books, Why We Love or Anatomy of Love, A Natural History of Mating, Marriage, and Why We Stray. Thank you so much for being on our show.
0: Thank you very much.